Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 135, recorded August 15th, 2013. So this would be our 70th 90s episode. Uh, And today we're doing Next Generation 70 through 72 by DC Comics. Great, 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 great. So we're going to end up one story arc and begin another. Right. So we last left off uh, way back in episode 128, which was a fair number of episodes ago. So hopefully you'll not everybody will forget what happened then. Yeah, and I do try to uh, kind of do a little reminder, as the book kind of did a little reminder, too, at the beginning of issue 70, which yeah, was helpful. It was helpful. I liked it. Yeah, it was actually excellent timing for it too, because because uh, <laughs> uh, we ca- we used it, I, I used it. So, anyways, so it yeah ends up we finish off that storyline where Riker's off doing something and Crusher's off doing something else. So they both have their storylines, um, and then we start off a new one, which will go for the next, I think, four ep- issues. So we should finish it off. Uh, with episode 138. Excellent. There you go. So, you know, I just want to jump right into it, Ken. I don't really I'm have ready, man. To say. All right. I'm ready. So, uh, we're going to wrap up the uh, story arc about Riker and his uh, his uh, adventures on Altair 3 with his uh, previous cohorts. So, issue number 70 is titled The Last Verse. Published date is April 1995. The writer is Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler is Daryl Skelton. Colorist is Rick Taylor. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Editor, Margaret Clark. The cover shows a huge silver metallic robot running at Consuela. A little further away, but still in the killer robot's path, is Riker. Text near the top says, To serve and destroy. The story opens on Altair 3, where nine years ago Riker and his landing party made a promise to the monks at Mariat at the height of that planet's bloody civil war. They were to take and keep safe five spheres encoded with the monks' holy scriptures and return them after the fighting was over. Riker and his companions have traveled far on foot over rugged, dangerous terrain to return the spheres to special receptacles in the monastery's shrine. The monastery is shaking violently, tossing Riker and his companions around. The sudden quake triggered by the spheres placement in the receptacles makes Riker suspect that the spheres carry more than mere sacred texts. Riker is able to grab Orzon's phaser off the ground before the disgraced Orzon can get to it. The revelation that Orzon planned to take the spheres and kill them all to raise money to help his family makes him the last person Riker would trust with a phaser right now. 
Out of the altar emerges a huge Pacific Rim-style robot. Riker and his team are thrown back away from the destroyed altar. The team conjectures that the robot is of Abadah manufacture. The monks, knowing they would be slaughtered by the rebels, bought it and set Riker and his company up as the trigger that would activate it to carry out their revenge against the rebels. Riker does not like being duped by the monks, and shoots the robot. The robot is able to distribute the force of the beam, rendering the beam harmless. The robot brushes past them on its quest to exact revenge on the rebels. Riker pledges to find a way to stop the weapon of destruction that they had released. Meanwhile, at the Starfleet Medical Conference, the madman Granthos has Dr. Crusher, Dr. Pulaski, and many other medical personnel held prisoner by very large Thorsoon thugs. Granthos says he will set off a bomb soon that will kill them all and allow him to get revenge for the wrongs done to him by members of the Starfleet medical community. Pulaski and Crusher notice that one of the Thorsoons appeared to be feeling intense pain when he passed close to one of the conference attendees. They come to the conclusion that the dolinium added to the air supply for Dr. Lanicus may be adversely affecting the Thorsoon. Somehow they know the life support controls are in a nearby room. If they can get there undetected and crank up the dolenium content in the air, it might take the Thorsoon out of the equation. Neleth says he will give Beverly and Pulaski the distraction they need to get to the controls. Neleth approaches Granthos and tries to talk him out of his evil plan. Finally, after no success, Neleth tells Granthos he is mad. The closest Thorsoon to Granthos shoots Neleth. Meanwhile, in Altair III, the giant robot killing machine is making its way out of the monastery grounds. Riker takes a few more phaser shots at it, but with no effect. The robot makes it past the minefield at the perimeter of the monastery walls. Riker gets an idea and shoots out part of the bridge over the ravine out from under the robot. It starts to fall, but is able to grab onto the bridge and begins to pull itself back up. Orzon uses his immense strength to pull a wooden pole up from the bridge. He uses it as a battering ram to push the robot away from the bridge. He is able to do it, but is grabbed by the robot and pulled down to his death. Riker and company tried, but failed to get to Orzon in time. Riker and the others discuss how Orzon lost his way and became a schemer and a murderer. In the end, he regained his true self and saved them all, and many Altarians. Riker says, let's get the hell out of here. Meanwhile, at the conference, Beverly rushes to Neelith's side. We need to get him to facilities or he'll die. Granthos says they will all die in a few minutes anyway, so why bother? Granthos notices Dr. Pulaski is not there, and rants about being mad but not stupid. He tells Crusher she is dead, when suddenly yellow gas comes in from the ceiling vents. The Thorsoon thugs collapse to the floor in pain. Granthos is distracted and turns his back on Beverly. 
she attacks him from behind, twisting his gun arm backward at an unnatural angle. The gun goes flying, and Granthos croaks out in a weak voice, You're hurting me. With Athorsun and Granthos taken into custody, Beverly Sherlock Crusher asks Dr. McPhee how he recognized Granthos's bomb as a plasma-based device. Granthos never bothered to say what kind of bomb it was. Mr. McPhee explains his father was a Starfleet weapons specialist, and that is where he came by his unusually detailed knowledge of such things. Through deductive reasoning, applied against several of Dr. McPhee's earlier statements in the first issue of the story arc, Dr. Crusher concludes that Dr. McPhee did not develop the rumelic fever vaccine on Delacus. It was Granthos that did it on Thorza. That, and his knowledge of bomb-making, makes it extremely likely that Dr. McPhee did blow up Granthos on Thorza and stole his vaccine. Dr. McPhee denies it all, but his body language cries out, Curses foiled again. Elementary, Dr. Pulaski. Elementary. Later on the Enterprise, Riker and Beverly discuss their recent adventures over a drink. Ensign Rowe comes by to tell them she is leaving the Enterprise to take on a unique Starfleet training program. They wish her well and to make them proud. The end. So where's Rowe going again? Uh, on, on, a, on a unique Starfleet training program. That That's what it says. Right. That's all she says. I know, but didn't... I mean... I'm trying to remember her that episode where she <clears throat> sides with the Maquis in that season seven episode. Um, I mean, doesn't isn't that when she leaves the Enterprise? Uh, I'm a little confused as to why she's leaving the Enterprise here. I don't know. That's a very good question because they seem to be going out of their way to stick Row in at the end of this issue to um, basically explain why she's not going to be. I guess in future comic book issues, right? So um, I thought it was kind of forced. It was unexpected, and I thought there might have been a good reason that was that was dovetailing with the TV series, although I didn't know what it was. Yeah, I mean, maybe that maybe that is what she was doing when she was with the Maquis, and then she went ahead and started siding with them in that last episode. So maybe that's. Maybe That's you're what right. They're getting at. Yeah. Maybe the training program was really some kind of a um, covert infiltration spy thingy. Right. She was trying to do with the uh, Maquis. Right, uh, and then they corrupted her. Yes. She joined the dark side. Anyways, I I really thought I I wasn't thinking of that episode when I was reading the issue. I was like, oh, this is set up for the next story arc, but. It's not, because the next story arc is set much later than this, this issue. Right. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's a good point. It could have been a setup for her next issue where she went off to do some program, and it's her adventure on that program, but apparently not. Right. And I, and I didn't even think of that. I thought they were just getting rid of her. <laughs> but that, that, that could have been what they were doing. But you say they're not, so... Okay. Yeah, they're not, so... Yeah. She, she's gone. That's all... That's all they were doing. This explains why she's 
away from the Enterprise in that issue or that episode, I guess. Right. Anyways, so what do you think overall on the on the finale? The wrapping up of the two stories. Um, I I thought it was fine, but I wasn't you know I wasn't overly enamored with either story. Right. Um. And I and if I had to pick one I liked better, I well I liked the Riker one better. I just have questions. It's like if you were if you were the monks and you had enough money to buy a killer robot, wouldn't you buy it probably to keep you from getting killed as opposed to exact revenge later? Right. And doesn't it seem like a very convoluted way to get it to be reactivated sometime in the future? Oh yeah. Cuz I think that in the last issue they even talk about it while they're sitting around the campfire. That good thing, uh, you know, their captain at the time didn't get one of the spheres because he died at at Wolf Three Five Seven, and then that got me thinking. Well, that was a huge risk because if any one of those balls was destroyed, yeah, their revenge then, would be this, ruined. This would have been nothing. Yeah. So. And yeah. and by the way. Why would you need all five anyway? I mean, wouldn't you think if you put the same program in all five spheres, I mean, how big could it be? Right. Then as long as one of them gets back, why, why, yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense why you would have to have the killer robot activation program spread across five different spheres. Right. I mean, maybe there's five and if any three of them made it or something like that. You know, kind of like the whole two keys to launch a nuclear warhead, you know, safety measures. Well, yeah, but who cares? I mean, if the monks know they're going to die, I mean, who cares about safety measures? <laughs> Good point. I mean, and by the way, why don't you just set an alarm in the robot? Isn't the robot sophisticated enough that you could just set an alarm, you know, wake well, up in five well, years? They, they did say know. that in this, that uh, that they thought that, that it would have been better... If they did it this way, then just to program it to wake up at a, at a given time. It's like, geez, <laughs> it's another Colonel Hogan, overly unlikely scenario, but right. whatever. Right. Yeah, the the only thing I liked about this that story arc is Orzon's character development. Yeah, you know, he was a nice guy. He did some really bad stuff. Right. He obviously feels sorry for it, and he, you know, sacrifices his life in order to save his his friend. So, I liked that uh, that story arc. Yeah, the redemption that right. that that is good. That bit of it's good, but. And Riker does not say, "Let's get the hell out of here." Yeah. <laughs> his exact yeah, words. Was, yeah. His exact words were, "Don't judge a song till you've heard the last verse." I I like reusing Kirk's. <laughs> dialogue better right but i mean that that one bit of line that that one line is obviously the justification for the name of the uh the issue issue yeah right and then the whole you know phantom of the opera guy with the bomb right that's story art you know you you basically pump in some stinky gas and you're able to take out all the henchmen that seems uh handy isn't it yeah. Well, they've got really good smell. They got a really good sense of smell. Right. So there you go. And and they don't like that dortholamine or whatever that gas was. They just don't like it. 
Dolenium. Very right. handy, wasn't it? It was handy. It was convenient, even. Right. And, and wasn't it nice how the, uh, the, the air conditioning unit was that close to the room? And right. that Pulaski knew that, and she knew exactly how to pump up the levels? Well, Pulaski didn't know where it was. I thought that the alien that wanted the gas to begin with knew where it was. Well, I don't remember. the one that went over there and did it. I... Did they say that? Um... I don't remember reading them say that. I think Pulaski says something about it's close by. Now, if you want to make stuff up that makes it make more sense, uh, okay, it's on it's on page seven, and they're okay. in silhouette, so you can't tell who's actually saying it. But okay, so what? Somebody what did they with say? short. It's somebody with short hair, and you can't tell if they're male or female. So when I read it, I thought it was the alien, but you're right; it could have just as easily have been Belowski. Good point. Yeah, and uh, they. And all they say is it's close by. Well, they say the life I, I support think. controls are close, as close as the next room. As close I, as the next room. If I can reach okay. them, I can turn off. The, so yeah, you're right. It probably is Pulaski. Yeah, very convenient. She knew that. Yeah. So I mean, and she could have found out from that Doctor Witchma call it, but I mean, they didn't actually show that him saying that. But right. whatever, that would make more sense. Yeah. Good point. And uh, quite the uh, quite the um, Sherlock Holmesian turn that Doctor Crusher makes. What in, in busting Santa Claus? In busting Santa Claus, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, well, you knew for a fact when they were throwing out all those little things, saying all those little things that really didn't seem to be adding to the story at all, that they must have been something. At the very least, I think we both said. You know, the first, when we were first introduced to the idea of the Delanium being in the air supply, mm-hmm. I think we both said that's going to come back later. And the 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 woman slash male, whatever she is. Oh is, right. Uh, not, we, yeah. Right. She she was walking around talking about how hungry she was. Right. And then he calls her a female, and she right. gets offended by it. So we we knew something was going on there, but yep. it seemed like it was just extra bits for in that first issue. Exactly. Just extra things for people to say. But there was so much of it, it was like... Yeah, this, right. At least some of this stuff has to come up later, otherwise they're wasting our time. And if you're reading these monthly, I mean, you would have read that issue three months ago, and, and it's such a insignificant fact that... Would you really remember it three months later when you finally got to this issue? Well, I didn't remember the details of it, <clears throat> but when they mentioned it in this issue... Um. Yeah, I remembered it, and you remembered well, okay, it when so they maybe, told maybe you. Maybe it wasn't you three. Did, yeah. You didn't remember it. You wouldn't have pieced all this together if you were, you know. Oh, no. If I it did. was a mystery that you were trying to figure out yourself. No, no. I'm bad at figuring those things out anyway. But uh, <laughs> but no, I wouldn't have put this together. <laughs> no. All right. I mean, I, I did not put when they're talking about the different planets and stuff, where supposedly this rheumatic fever uh, cure was was devised. I, I didn't put it together that one of the places was the same planet that that one lady was from. I 
that well lady per, uh, person it right so I I didn't put that together but and, and that was kind of important <laughs> in in what Beverly figured out so right right anyways not my favorite issue no no it, we have ha- we have read much worse <laughs> <laughs> my last comment is I like how Beverly disarms Granthos at the end by getting like his arm back. Right. So it wasn't like she was doing some kind of big jujitsu move or something that Worf taught her. It would, The way I took it was more like she's a doctor and she knows the way human bodies work and she knows how human bodies don't work. So if I grab that arm and pull it backwards to bend in ways that it was not meant to, uh, he's going to drop that gun. So I, I, I kind of liked that uh, that it was a doctor's way to disarm somebody I like that and then you liked how when she did that the uh, the crazy guy's like no fair you hurt me <laughs> yes exactly in a wimpy little droopy dog voice exactly. right I thought that was uh, that was a little much yeah yeah oh uh, here's another thing that, that annoyed me is they were all standing there f- waiting for the bomb to go off if you were Granthos and you really wanted to kill these people and yourself too why did you set it off? Why, I mean, why are why are you waiting for a timer? And those are some good henchmen that they're willing to blow up for their, uh, their oh, yeah. master. Yeah, but of course you know why because he saved their planet, uh, at least from the rumelic fever. So um, I mean, that's even a better thing that 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 lets you know why they're willing to do that. Hmm. But I, I but, didn't yeah. catch that. That's the reasoning for uh, I assume. being behind him. But yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah, you saved our family. Anything you say, boss. Mm. So, wish they would have actually pointed that out in the story instead of making them look like uh, conveniently weakened thugs. Uh, yeah, physically strong, mentally weak, and no likey the stinky smell. <laughs> Yes, well, everybody has their uh, Achilles heel, don't they? And some of them are really handy. So next up is issue 71. Came out May of 1995. This one is entitled War and Madness, Part 1, The First Casualty. The writer is Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler is Gordon Purcell. Inker is Terry Pallet. Letterer is Chris Elopoulos. Colorist is Rick Taylor. And editor is Margaret Clark. The cover has a tagline, which is different than the actual issue title, and it says, Devices and Desires. So we talked a little bit about this cover uh, last issue because there was an ad for it in one of the original series um, issues. But uh, we'll go ahead and talk about it again. The uh, top half of the cover shows Picard and Beverly standing face-to-face Uh, before a starlit viewport. Picard is holding a small box and has it opened and pointed towards the doctor. Within the box, we can see a glimpse of a sparkling ring. The lower half of the cover shows two Klingons and a human woman on a rock-covered ground. Around them, we see rays of death raining down upon them, destroying everything. So the story starts off on the distant world of Beta Explora. 
a joint federation and Klingon scientific colony is going about their daily routines. A young woman named Maggie is finally making some headway in befriending a Klingon scientist and his two small children. She is showing them a certain type of flower when pulses of energy start raining down from the sky. The three make it into a small Federation building, but it is not much protection from the blasts. Before they die, they do learn who their attackers are through the use of the scanners. Puzzled, they die wondering why the Tholians would be doing this to them. On the Enterprise, Beverly and Picard are finishing up their breakfast in the captain's quarters. Picard then takes Crusher's hand and he asks her to marry him. She starts to act weird, and Picard asks if he did something wrong. She says that she's known that he would propose to her based on Picard's recollection of the future from the episode All Good Things. After that, he told her that they were, had been married for years. He tells her that that was only one possible future, and that there was no guarantee that he was ever going to ask her. She then tells him that this is not real, and that he is just a holodeck program she made to see how she would feel if and when the real Picard proposes. He asks what that answer would be, and she just turns away and terminates the program. On another outskirt planet called Alpha Unara, another scientific settlement is attacked. They call for the help of a Starfleet vessel that had been there just a few minutes before. The USS Stockholm receives the call and heads back at maximum warp. They arrive to witness three small attacking Tholian ships. The Stockholm fires upon the three tiny ships, only doing minimum damage. The three ships break off their bombardment of the planet and start focusing their efforts on the Stockholm. Within moments, the Stockholm's warp core is breached and a new sun can be seen in the sky from the colony's point of view. With that, the three small craft depart the planet, leaving the remaining colonists bewildered. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Geordi is in his quarters trying to write a novel. He is doing this because of Picard's retelling of the events of his time in the future, where Geordi had his eyes and he was a literary genius. Data arrives and reminds Geordi and the reader about all the other things that Picard had witnessed. He talks about the Picard-Crusher marriage. He talks about Worf and Riker's hatred towards one another due to the affections of Troy before she died. And he talks about Data's own chair at Cambridge. Meanwhile, aboard a Tholian vessel... The Tholian commander is criticizing the Federation for their lack of resistance to his attacks. His second-in-command does not agree with attacking the innocent people, but he continues to follow his leader's orders. Back on the Enterprise, Picard is recording a heartfelt letter to his brother, Robert. He talks about how much he cares for him and his wife and his son. Before he can finish the letter, he is called to the bridge. He pauses the recording and plans to start up again upon his return. In the briefing room, Picard and the crew are informed about the two recent attacks by the Tholians. 
They are ordered to pick up Riker's father, who happens to be an expert on Tholians. Once the meeting is over, Picard asks Riker privately if there's going to be any issue, since the Riker men have not always been on best terms. Riker says that there will be none, and that they have buried the hatchet back when Kyle Riker was aboard the Enterprise in the episode The Icarus Factor. Later, Riker is all smiles as he and Troy wait in the transporter room for the arrival of Kyle. As the transporter starts to whine, Riker's smile starts to lessen as he notices that there's two people being transported. Once Kyle and a lovely woman are completely materialized, Riker is in complete shock as his father and the woman hold hands as they descend the transporter pad. Kyle then drops a bombshell. This woman is his fiance. To be continued. Uh-huh. Fiancé. So Riker's getting a new mama. <sighs> yes. Yes. That should have been the first thing he asked. Oh, can I call you mom? <laughs> can I sit in your lap? No. Uh, I think... Uh, so... Uh, yeah. So Riker appears to be uh, un- unhappy about the turn of event. Yeah, and I don't really understand why. It doesn't seem... I mean, it's not like she's, like, super young or, you know, he's not on very good terms with his dad. They don't chit-chat a lot, so I don't really no. understand why he would have that look on his face yeah. when and, he finds and, out. And it's not like she's somebody that he dated or something. So <laughs> right, it's, it's, like, not like it, it's not like it's Luke Swana or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... So it's like, how old is he? Anyway, it, we'll, I, I'll, we'll talk more about it in the next issue where you find out more about Riker opening up about it a little bit to uh, right. to Troy, not to ruin things. But um, you knew that you knew that scene had to happen in the next issue. It does. Um, I just think it's a little a little forced, but whatever. So I did not remember that um, that Riker's father Kyle left him when he was 15 years old to pursue his career. I did... I'm sure they talked about that in that uh, Next Gen episode where we first get introduced to his father, but I did not remember it. Yeah, I remembered that part. I just don't remember them saying that he's a Tholian expert. So that part... They just made that up. Are you sure? Because I I meant to go back and look it up or uh, watch that episode, but uh, I didn't get a chance. Well, I doubt... Yeah, I doubt if they would have brought that up in the ep- in that next gen episode, but maybe, maybe. But isn't it? I thought it's kind of interesting that the uh, that he left his son in a lurch to go off to to for his career, and now Riker has definitely uh, put Troy on hold as he pursues his career. Right. So, you know. As much as you say, I will never be my father. Um, often you are, <laughs> anyway, despite your best efforts. And uh, and I think Riker is a bit like his father. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, he he get you know, or at least that's alluded to in All Good Things. But because he's not pursuing Troy. She's going to end up dating Worf, yep. and then in that one possible future, uh, Riker 
hates Worf for, you know, in his mind, stealing her away from him. Right. So, yeah, you're right. He's not, he's not, he doesn't have his priorities straight, and then he's going to potentially pay for it in the future. Yep. When he realizes. Oh, what a fool you've been! Cake and eat it too. No, no, Mister Riker, you don't. Anyway, but as we we've all seen Nemesis, so we know that he does. <laughs> ah, yeah, yes, and goes off to be happy aboard the Titan. Right. And she uh, wants to go with him. Yay, Deanna. So I thought it was interesting how they made so many references to the last episode ever for Next Gen. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting, although it was getting a little tiring at time, tiresome at times. But I thought that was kind of interesting. And they were definitely setting things up for generations when uh, when when Riker's nephew dies. Right. So um, so they were really setting up the next movie, or setting up the Generations movie, too. So they were really... A lot of, a lot of references in both directions, to the future and to the past. Right. So I thought that was right. kind of interesting. Interesting, yes, but I'm with you. I, I already know this. I've seen the episode. Yeah. And I've seen the movie. Yeah. Right. So this shoehorning that in here doesn't really add anything to me. Although it is kind of interesting, you know, the Jordy part I thought was interesting that because of that he's now trying to write the novel because. He knows that in the future he, or at least in that future he did. So yeah, I kind of like that. That, but then Data just coming in there and reciting all the the things that happened in that possible future, I thought was a little redundant. Yeah, unless they're going to be brought back up. Yeah, and what a tease! What a total <laughs> tease with Beverly. So you look at the cover, and it shows Picard basically proposing, and so you think, oh. Well, that never happened before. Let's let's something interesting. Let's let's see what happens. Oh, sorry, it's a holodeck program. Oh, you no, they, tease. They had me too because when he does it right at the beginning, I'm like, oh, well, they're not even going to wait till the end to have this as a cliffhanger, right? I mean, they're just like within the first couple pages, he's asking her to marry him. I'm like, ooh, wow, what are they going to go with this? And then you're not real. Oh. <laughs> End program. Oh. So yeah, they they had me. Yeah. And of course, you know, uh, and, and Picard never did. And and part of it was because he felt guilty about uh, Jack Crusher. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want it said that he got Jack out of the way or something. Right. So he could be with Beverly. I don't know. There's some weird stuff going on there, which I think we might have discussed before in a previous episode, but right. I just thought I'd mention that again. Yeah, I highly recommend you reading the uh, post-Nemesis novels. Uh, mm. Some of them, the very first one, uh, Death and Winter, I think it's called, written yeah. by Michael Jan Friedman, uh, really delves in Crusher's and Picard's relationship after Nemesis. Uh. And they're definitely an item. So, ah, whatever hangups he had during the series as to why they can't get together, they get over them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, 
and and I like it. I, I mean, she, you know, at the end of Nemesis, she's it's said that she's going to go back to Starfleet Medical or that she was going to have her own ship. I forgot what it was. But, you know, they explained that, you know, she was unhappy. She wanted to be with Picard. So she basically, you know, I'll move back in with you, but I'm going to need a little bit more of a commitment than just I'm, I work for you kind of thing. So right. uh, I really like what they what they did with her and him. In Much better than this. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But, so look it up. Read them. Good stuff. Yeah. I thought the Tholian depiction was rather comical. Very um, The artistry. I mean, the artistry of it. So, um, in the original Tholian web series episode, um, I mean, they just showed like a head or something, to, right? It's like a view right. screen kind of shot, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then they've extrapolated in this, this these issues the whole body and everything. The whole crystalline kind of weird yellow crystal body of these Tholians and uh, especially the first officer I thought was kind of a funky looking little fella (laughs) yeah they have these big giant heads and little squatty bodies but you know obviously all made out of crystal yeah and the and the captain looks significantly larger than the first officer I mean the first officer almost looked like a child next to the captain Right. Well, as you know, crystals continue to grow, so ah. they probably grow all the way up till they die. Oh my God, that's a, that's an excellent thought. That's an <laughs> excellent point, Donovan. I remember make I remember making rock candy out of uh, water with uh, with sugar in it and a string. Oh, does that is that how they do that? Uh, that's the way I did it. Oh. I, it it really didn't turn out very well, but I did it. Hmm. Yeah, well, as you pointed out, in the original Star Trek episode, you only saw the top of the, you know, you only saw their faces, right? Right. Head. And they had kind of, like, I thought they had, like, pointy heads, but maybe they were more round. But they definitely weren't these huge spherical heads that these guys have. Yeah. Uh, And then in Star Trek Enterprise, there's a Tholian episode, and... Their show, you know, they have their whole body because it was oh. CG'd, and right. they looked almost like insects. I think they even had like six legs. So, hmm. um, you know, we, I have to give these guys, you know, benefit of a doubt that, you know, that that might not have been set in stone. Exactly what they do look like, right? As to, you know, are they biped or insectoid or what? But, yeah. uh, but well. these guys just look like guys in. Rock costumes. With <laughs> or, in this case, a dwarf in a rock costume, in the case of the first officer or something. Yeah, yeah he's pretty tiny. He's a little fella, but he's 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 spunky. Is he? All he does is, like, he thinks to himself, I don't <laughs> agree with him, but uh, he's the boss. <laughs> I don't think we should Gosh. be killing all these people, but, you know, he's the boss. <laughs> Gosh, I should say something, shouldn't I? <laughs> Yeah. And I do like how even his thought balloons look like little rocks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can't can't have soft little bubbles. It has to be these little rocky bubbles with uh it just it's it's pretty interesting. That's good. Visual. It's it's creativity. 
Right. Why why make a normal average everyday word balloon? <laughs> Let's punch so, it up a little bit. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I I'm a big fan of Swamp Thing. I've heard Have that. I, that. I think I've I've heard that, yes. But they they always did that too. You know, w- w- anytime he was talking, which, you know, was supposedly, you know, with great effort to, you know, make human speech out of his mm-hmm. his plant body. It was always this kind of blocky lettering or blocky balloons. Right. Uh, and it was always like a orange color. So everybody else's word balloons were yellow or white, but his were always like orange. And even his thought balloons were kind of like that too, where they they were a different shape and they were always orange. So it was always interesting that Swamp Thing's internal dialogue and his external dialogue always a completely different shape and a different color than everybody else's. He's a different kind of guy. So, I always wondered why his thought balloons also had to be the weird color, because it's not like he's thinking in a different voice. Right. <laughs> but, um, anyways, that, that this just reminded me of that. Artistic choice. My, my last comment is on uh, page 21, if you okay. want to jump over that, when, when uh, they're having the briefing. Uh, at the very top of that page... We finally see why Picard's always tugging at his uh, shirt when he stands up, because that is the the most wrinkled shirt I've ever seen. It looks like it might be like two times too big, and it's wrinkled in every possible way it could be wrinkled. Well, especially on the arm. Yeah. The upper arm, right? His left arm, upper arm, it looks like almost like a Swiss cheese shirt. And his, you know, around his his ribcage and stuff is is equally wrinkled, and his yeah. other arm is just as bad. It's like, oh. <laughs> it it really looks like he's wearing like a, a a little kid wearing an adult shirt and just pulling up the sleeves so that his hands can poke out. Right. It, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Very wrinkled. Very wrinkled. <laughs> but, I, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, that's why he always tugs on it when he gets up. Because when he sits, he looks like that. <laughs> so you figure somebody just like 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 dared the artist to like I yeah I'm sick of these guys always uh, having cleanly pressed shirts. Let's let's see some mess there. Bet you can't do it, but I can, and he did. Thank and you, it's Gordon. only in that one panel. I mean, on all the other panels, he looks fine. Oh yeah. Well, look at the next page. We're almost directly across. There's yeah. Picard again. Oh, is that after the meeting? I think it's that's after the meeting. It's after the meeting. And you know, his shirt looks perfect. Yep. Indeed. So whatever problem he had during the uh, the meeting, sitting around the room, uh, was definitely taken care of when he stood up. Yeah, I thought it was funny. All right, and then uh, lastly, just throw it out there: all the ships in this episode or issue mm-hmm. seem to be older class ships. So there's like a uh, like a Defiant type class ship. That's what mm-hmm. the um, Stockholm was. Yes. And even the ship that drops off Picard or drops off Kyle Riker seems yep. to be an older class ship. So I just yeah. thought it was weird that they. Yeah. Reusing some of the old ships. Yeah, was it was it Obereth class or something like that? Right, right. Was, was that the one they used in um, Wrath of Khan, or was it Wrath? Maybe it wasn't Wrath uh, of it Khan. Was, it uh, was Search for Spock. Search for Spock. There you go. Right. That uh, that got blown up. 
by the Klingons. Yes. Uh, so. And and even even the the Tholian ships. I mean, look at them. They they I I did not see one difference in at least external appearance and what they look like in the original uh, Taz series. Right. Episode. Yep. yep. We'll find out maybe next issue that there might be little slight changes, but well, they definitely yeah. look the same. Exactly. So, well, yes, we don't want to spoil anything. But uh, definitely some technological advan- advancements took place. You just can't see it outwardly in the outside of the ship. Right. Which I think is kind of odd. but. Right. They need some nacelles on there. <laughs> or something. You know, some kind of change. I mean, it's been, what, 80 years, 60 years, you know, whatever it's supposed to be? Come on. They should be changing a bit. I'm not going to argue with you. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Okay, that's it. Shall we move on to the next one? Let's. Excellent. So I get to do, to do the next one, and it is issue 71. Title is War and Madness Part 2. A Handful of Dust. Published date is June 1995. Writer is Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler Gordon Purcell. Inker Terry Pallet. Colorist Rick Taylor. Letterer Chris Elopoulos. And editor is Margaret Clark. The cover shows the Enterprise-D trapped in a Tholian web. In a classic pose, just like in the original uh, Taz episode. The Tholian Web, where the original Enterprise was stuck in a very similar situation. The issue begins on Alpha Yunuri, the site of the only recent colony attack that has survivors. This is where Picard will begin the investigation into the three recent Tholian attacks. Riker leads an away team that includes his father, Worf, and others. The colony leader explains they would be stains on the landscape if it was not for the Stockholm interceding, rest their souls. After Riker establishes that the research colony is unaware of anything they could have done to provoke the Tholian attack, Riker's father suggests that there is nothing left to discover on this planet, and they should look elsewhere for answers. Will disagrees, and follows procedure by continuing sensor sweeps and spreading out the search for clues. Will's father again states his position, but agrees to do thing Will's way, for now. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher reports 20% of the colonists were killed in the Tholian raid. A wounded Vulcan colonist says he was unprepared for the violence of the attack. Two days later, after finding nothing, Picard ends the investigation and breaks orbit for Beta Exorpa, where they will continue to search for a reason for the sudden Tholian aggression. In 10 forward, Will and Deanna are having a drink. Riker is distracted and ill-tempered. Deanna conjectures it's because of the presence of his father and his fiancée. Riker objects and calls her assessment ridiculous. He finally comes around and admits anyone replacing his mother in such a formal capacity bugs the hell out of him. Their discussion is cut short by a call to the bridge. When they get there, they find Will's father making suggestions to the captain and how fast they are traveling to Beta uh, Barani. When they get there, they find Will's father making suggestions to the captain about how fast they are traveling to the next colony, where they have just gotten word that the latest Tholian attack is happening now. 
As per the Elder Riker's suggestion, the captain orders speed increase to maximum warp. Picard comments he hopes that they will fare better than the Stockholm did. At Beta Barania, the captain of the Tholian attack is informed a Federation ship is approaching the planet. He orders the first officer to organize a welcome for the intervening ship and its captain. The first officer does not say a word in protest, but thinks to himself this will just lead to more pointless death and destruction. On the Enterprise D, Data informs Captain Picard of the incoming Tholian vessels. They suspend their attack on the colony, but at first they do not turn on the Enterprise. Picard attempts a hail, but receives no reply. When they take a warning shot at the Tholians, their ships turn and come at the Enterprise. They surround her and start to fire orange energy beams that do not hit the Enterprise. Commander Riker recognizes immediately they are attempting a tactic not seen in over 50 years. They are attempting to construct a web around the Enterprise D. The faster and more maneuverable Tholian ships are able to complete the web enough to prevent the Enterprise from going to warp and escaping. Riker's father says they stopped using the web tactic years ago when Federation phasers thwarted them. Since they are attempting this again, their web technology must be improved. It must be harder to cut through. It was a trap all along, and they stepped right into it. Picard is not happy. On the Tholian ship, the captain is extolling his pleasure at the success of their maneuvers. They have a galaxy-class starship with thousands of Federation citizens on board. When they begin constricting the web, it will crush the ship and all aboard her. That will go some ways towards making up for the wrongs done against the Tholian people by the Federation. The Tholian first officer more than ever considers these the rantings of a madman. He asks himself how long will he remain silent while a thousand beings are being crushed to death. Back on the Enterprise, Commander Riker is telling the captain and the others about a strategy he worked out against the Tholians during his academy days. Theoretically, it would take advantage of a blind spot in their sensor array that would allow the power of the Tholian web itself to be fed into a hole poked in their shields. The result would be a seriously damaged Tholian ship. Will's father objects, saying his work at the academy is 20 years old, and in that time the Tholians have been working on their weapons and defensive systems. The odds are that they fixed that blind spot years ago. Trying this would be a waste of time. The father and son are standing toe-to-toe, disagreeing on the next move. Troy, and likely everyone else, sees the animosity between them is personal, and it could not come at a worse time. On the lead Tholian ship, Nethrax, the first officer, states his case to the captain, that he may be acting rashly. The captain says the Tholian people have been treated badly by some of the people of the Federation, and for that they will pay. The captain intends to use his demonstration to command respect and fear. In the end, Nethrax's arguments fall on deaf ears. On the Enterprise Bridge, Data reports the web has a new feature that is draining their shields. Shields will be gone in less than an hour. 
Commander Riker says they have to try something before they run out of time. Picard agrees and orders Riker to put his theory to the test. Will's father protests, calling it a damn fool plan. Picard tells him he has faith in Will's judgment, and they are going ahead with the plan. Riker's plan is tried and fails. If anything, the rate of shield drain has increased. Will tells Deanna to get some rest. Her services will be in high demand when the crew finds out the situation they're in. Picard makes perhaps one of his last log entries. With no new plan and shield power levels dropping steadily, the moment of their destruction approaches. To be continued. Uh Uh-oh, how are they going to get out of that? (laughs) Beats me. I mean, they they could really get crushed this time. Huh? (laughs) Oh, that's right. They end up in generations, so they couldn't... Ah, well. Well, we'll see how they get out of it. So... You know, the the big question in this issue, and, and I think you'll agree with me, it's the one that you had, you, you were just, you couldn't, you couldn't fathom what the answer is going to be, and it, and it just kept you up at night. <laughs> okay. What's the deal with the bartender? <laughs> Why keeps... does he care so much? <laughs> Commander Riker never did taste this drink. Damn. It's 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 kind of like a coffee commercial, isn't it? Yeah, he never has a second cup at my at our house. Exactly. We do see Guinan at the bar, though. Is she? So, oh yeah, we see the back of her head. <clears throat> you see the back of her head, unless somebody else is wearing her getup. And uh, and this guy, uh, what Ben? So he says, uh, Ben in ten forward. He says he mixed it himself. The drink he he brought to Riker and uh, and Deanna. And it's like, wait a minute. You were across from her. You're serving the drinks. Odds are Guinan is making the drinks, pal. So, what kind of butt-kissing are you doing here? Maybe Guinan's not really there. It's some sort of, like, scarecrow. That when she's gone, they just put her costume there in the in the bar area to, to scare off uh, certain... Birds? The drunks. The drunks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Ben was in one episode of the uh, Next Generation, huh. the issue, the episode Lower Decks, but huh. he didn't seem to be that crucial of a character. And he continues to be not that crucial a character, even though he keeps bopping up and getting lines. I mean, they're they're taking up several, you know, several panels to to you know show his angst about. Why is he not trying my drink? <laughs> yeah. Well, filler. Uh, unless he actually is going to end up doing something in an episode. But I well, that's it. what I keep wondering. I'm like, well, he just made that drink. Maybe he's plotting to kill Riker or something. Maybe it's going to you know, play into something later. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I doubt it. Me too. So I thought it was odd how Deanna's uh, hair hairstyle is looking a little bit different and definitely the red color on page 7 oh um, yeah of course it wouldn't be the first time her hair has had a little bit of red you know some kind of a co- weird color thing uh, when her, her hair in the show is clearly dark you know brunette right. dark brunette but uh, this one she's red and that kind of throws me off at least in some panels right right So, 
Just thought yeah. that. Nope. I, I, that that doesn't bother me, but you're right. Sometimes it's it's more than just a sheen on her hair. It looks like that's her hair color. Right. W- what did you think of page 16 with the shots of young Riker? Oh, back at the Academy? Yeah, and he's always like pointing off screen and at the reader. And it's just like, hey. <laughs> I'm Will Riker. Damn glad to meet you. I like it. I mean, it does look like a young Jonathan Frakes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was pretty young in that first season. Right. And, I mean, he was acting even, you know, way before that. He was uh, on a couple seasons of The Waltons. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I knew he popped up in a, in a couple different series. Like soap uh, opera type things? That's what I've always heard that he did before. Yeah, and he said... He himself said that uh, for a while there he was the uh, bad guy of the week or something. Oh, so really? he's getting getting roles on like cop shows or something as some kind of drug dealer or something, which I, I find kind of humorous considering how clean cut and fresh faced he was in the first season of of Next Gen. But yeah, what's funny about his character on the Waltons is that he's like dating one of you know the Waltons is like this good wholesome family show. Mm-hmm. And he's like dating one of the daughters, and then he ends up like breaking up with her so that he can see some other girl, and and they and he leaves the show like that. But then his character comes back, not not played by Jonathan Frakes anymore, and he ends up you know wooing the girl back, and they end up getting married. Ah. But I always thought it was funny that Jonathan Frakes leaves when that character's you know basically a bad guy, <laughs> and then he comes back, makes amends, but it's a different actor. <laughs> so he was a jerk at the beginning. There you go. He, he was a jerk. Yeah, until he got on to next year. To these Joe Hero guy. Yep. Has he done anything lately? I know that he got into to directing, and he was supposed yeah. to direct. Uh, there for the longest time, he was supposed to direct Total Recall, and then when it finally got made, he ended up not being the one directing it. I did not know he was supposed to direct uh, Total Recall. I did not know that at all. Interesting. Yeah, that was in in development for like ten years. And yeah, he was always, you know, Total Recall reboot directed by Jonathan Frakes, and then right. it finally got made. And I'm like, oh, good, he finally got it made, and it's a completely different director, <laughs> completely different guy. It, and it was an okay movie, but not a great movie. I've still never seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. It really didn't need to be made. It was okay, but. So uh, so here's where i got to make my comment about Riker. How old is Riker? So he has an issue with someone replacing his mother right. in such a permanent way? Jeez, grow up, Willie. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, hello? Yeah, I mean, you would think that he would still want his dad to be happy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it just seemed forced. Agreed. I mean, they they had to have con- they had to continue to have conflict between uh, Riker and his father, and this is the excuse. This is the justification for it. I think it's a little forced, but there you go. I'm not going to argue with you because I agree with you 100. percent Yeah. Another thing that kind of annoys me about the elder Riker, it's like he's constantly basically pooping on Will's ideas, but he never comes up with ideas of his own. Thank you. That was my biggest complaint. You yeah. know, Riker's throwing out the suggestion, and all he could say was, well, that's not going to work. 
And then, exactly. and then Riker never calls him on it. It's the only chance we got. Never does he say, well, what's your idea, Dada? Because yeah. I'm not hearing any suggestions. <laughs> yeah, and on the first one where he just says, hey, we should go on to the next place. I think he was a bit, I think he was a, brushing things a bit. And I think Riker was 100% right to be uh, continuing to, you know, look for clues. But, right. you know, two days, that did seem a little excessive um, in the end. But for what Riker originally wanted, made perfect sense. And then at the end, when Riker's the only guy that comes up with anything, it's like, well, yeah, we should try it. I mean, what else are we going to do? Just sit here? You know, so what's your alternative idea, Pops? Right. And and here's my speculation. I think that uh, they're going to use his brilliant idea in the next issue or so to come up with a new strategy, basically just updating his 20-year-old strategy. Uh, And that's what's going to save the day. That's just Uh, my guess. They're going to bring it back somehow. Yeah, updating Riker. Yeah, I I think the same thing. Yeah, right. So they're going to figure out why that they couldn't poke a hole in that sh- their shields or whatever. Right. And it's going to be like Data, you had the uh, you had the parking brake on. Of course, it wouldn't work. Exactly. Sulu would have done it, but he's not here, so you did it. <laughs> but when 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 Troy calls Riker on his, we shouldn't have stayed there two days. Right. Oh, he looks pissed. And he's like, when did your judgment become better than mine against, or yeah, when it tactical. comes to tactic, you know, military tactics? Boy, he looks bad. Oh, yes, he looks very mad. He looks like he might <laughs> take a swing at her. <laughs> yeah, he, he does look that mad. It's like, what, lighten up, pal. Jeez. So I'm wondering, um, why didn't they try to ensnare the Stockholm? Instead of just blowing it up? Instead of blowing it up, why didn't they try to ensnare the Stockholm and crush it like they're doing the Enterprise D? Right. Were they waiting for a bigger fish? Is that the deal? Because. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. At first I thought it was like, because they didn't even shoot at the Enterprise. They just started um, capturing it, right? Yep, yep. So I was like, oh, well then, they must want the ship for some reason. And then, you know, all the commander wants to talk about is crushing it. So uh, I don't know. Their method, their uh, rationale is confusing to me. Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe they figured they could take care of the Stockholm without bothering to ensnare them, just right. blow them up because it was not worthy enough an appoint- opponent. But uh, and a galaxy class starship would be a big fish to catch and crush. But yeah, it doesn't even say that. Uh, yeah, the utter I, destruction I, of a galaxy class vessel. With its thousands or so passengers and crew, will go a long way in that regard. Yep. Talking about his uh, vengeance, vengeance, which we yeah. don't know what he's vengeancing yeah, about. Yeah, what's he talking about? So I don't get it. Uh, I just wish we knew a little bit more about his, their motivations right. and why the little the little second in command is not quite on board. Right. So in the end, you figure the second in command does something. But what will it be? What will it be? I don't know. We'll have to and, find I, out. and I figure he can't he can't out and out save them. Because that would be like, well, then, you know. Enterprise crew, you guys are kinda stupid, aren't you? You couldn't figure it you couldn't figure a way out. 
right, right. out of this problem. So they'll still do something to figure their way out of it. It's just that somehow the uh, little Tholian first officer is going to give them more time or something. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. So I don't have any other comments. How about you? Uh, no, I do not. That's it. Yeah, I didn't have a ton to talk about. It, mainly because it's the middle of the story and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Exactly. Hopefully uh, I, the resolution will be better <laughs> than the last story arc, which I thought kind of ended on a whimper. Yeah. Well, especially with that that whole thing about the medical conference. Exactly. Uh, I, I do like the cover. And I like how they've purposely tried to, um, you know, dredge up a... Uh, an iconic vision from the original series, and then put the put the uh, Enter- Enterprise D in the in the same situation. So, you know, yep, I kind of like right. the cover. No, I, I do too. And yeah. they they kind of do the same thing on Enterprise with the Tholians, where you know they they have the Tholian web, uh, or at least the starting of a Tholian web around the NX zero one. Mm-hmm. So no, it's it's a great visual, and it's and it's a nice little nod to the original show that uh, I think still holds up. Yeah, I did not remember there were, there being a Tholian episode in Enterprise. So how do they get out of the uh, the trap? Well, it's actually the episode of the Mirror Mirror episode. It's the oh, oh. Mirror Darkly. Hmm. I think Part Two is the one that has the Tholians in it. Oh. Uh, Huh. I'm trying to remember. It it might actually. Now that I think about it, it that Tholian web might have destroyed the NX zero one, and then that's when they stole the Defiant from you know the the Constitution class Defiant from the Tholian web episode. That in, instead of going into an alternate universe or whatever, it actually traveled back in time hmm. to an alternate universe. To the uh, mirror universe where Archer ends up getting on it. Uh, Again, uh, I talk about that episode a lot because I think it's a fantastic episode, and you need to watch it again. I know, I agree. I, I thought it was interesting. I saw the uh, a clip from where uh, I hope this isn't a mirror mirror darkly, but uh, it's it shows uh, Archer fighting a Gorn. Absolutely, same way. And and he's in the green. You know, the green wraparound uh, Kirk uniform. Right. Yeah, with a different badge because it's the Defiance badge but and not the Enterprise badge. But yeah, it's the same wraparound tunic. Okay, so you're telling me in In a Mirror Darkly, they they drag in the Gorn and the Tholians. Anybody else from the original series? Uh, Nope. I would think two mega villains like that would be enough, but... Right. Gosh. The the Gorn part is pretty small, you know, but it, you know it makes sense for the Tholians to be there because that's the whole, you know, that's that's how because of the Tholians is the reason why the Defiant got put into that universe mm-hmm. in that time period. Right. So it makes sense that it would still be in Tholian space. So they made sense, and then basically what happened is that after the Defiant got put back in time. The Tholians couldn't live on the ship because it's not conducive to their biochemistry. Mm-hmm. So they basically have the this slave labor made from all their captured aliens, and one of the captured aliens was a Gorn. 
Ah, and so he's like the, you know, he's like the enforcer. He, he's he's not quite a slave. I mean, I guess he is a slave, but he's he has power. And uh, yeah. he when when the slaves get out of line, they they call in the Gorn. Yeah. <laughs> and this Gorn this Gorn is a lot sprier and uh, doesn't move in slow motion. <laughs> right. Like the original one. Yeah, no, he's completely CG, and he looks more dinosaur-like. Yeah. Little. But he really looks CG. Yeah. Man, it's it's TV budget CG from, you know, good 15 years ago, 10 years exactly. ago. Exactly, right. So watching it now, it's not the best, but it is cool to see what they probably did think a Gorn should have looked like instead of just a guy in a rubber suit. Right, and it is better than the rubber suit, but... Although I gotta say, there's just something so charming about that old Gorn outfit with the little the eyes that look like like crystal eyes or whatever, <laughs> multifaceted eyes. Right, yeah, kind of like it's made out of um, I don't know something you might see on a New Orleans float. I don't know, just looked right. a little cheesy, but yeah. yeah. All right. What All else right. you got? Uh, I got nothing else with this uh, issue. Okay. I good. thought it was fine. And I don't really even have an incredibly odd tangent to, to go off on for five or ten minutes. Oh, that's too bad. Damn, because we love our tangents. We do. All right. Well, then that finishes up this episode. We will do Deep Space Nine issues 22 through 24 next week. And then after that, we're uh, in another round of annuals. So the original series annual and the next generation annual number five. Cool. So, cool, cool, cool. So a good couple of weeks coming up. Excellent. All right. So I guess until next week, uh, we'll, go, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes, or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.